Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hello, everybody. My name is Drew Horning, and I'm excited today on our podcast. We have Michael Fosberg. Michael, would you introduce yourself? Sure, sure. I'm, as you said, I'm Michael Fosberg, <laughs> and uh, I am uh, sitting in Chicago at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was a Hoffman student in the summer of the late summer 2002, I believe was my class. And uh, I have for the past uh, 15 years been, I guess, what has been considered a, a diversity and inclusion consultant, but that's just a very small fraction of what I do, actually. So, <laughs> uh, Wow. So um, we're grateful to have you on the podcast. You know, um, when I was researching a little bit about you, I watched your one-man play. Yes. And and in it, at one point, you, your, your, well, do you want to describe that moment where you look down at your hands? Sure. It, sure. it, it, it I literally, um, like felt myself stop breathing in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, first of all, I, I, you, so listeners are going, wait, he said he was a diversity <laughs> inclusion consultant. What, what's this right. one man play thing? <laughs> that's right. That's right. your, that's your medium, right? That is my medium. Exactly. It is um, the way that I uh, open the conversation on how we look at ourselves and how we look at other people. And you brought up a very poignant moment of when I changed, uh, my perception of myself and uh and, and in in a nutshell i i went off on a journey to um find my biological father i wasn't raised by him i was raised by my biological mother and an adopted stepfather and when i was in my early 30s um they got a divorce and i realized my mother had never told me anything about my biological father so i went off on this journey to to find him and I, <laughs> I tracked him down in a first phone call, miraculously enough, uh, during which that phone call, he proceeded to tell me, as he said, a couple of things I'm sure your mother never told you. Um, one of which is that he's African American. And I had grown up in a white working class family thinking I was a white guy my entire life. When in fact, I am a lot more than that. And thus, the moment in the play that you're talking about when my father um, shares with me his, his, his identity and I look at my hands as if, wait a minute, it, I'm, I'm black too. I'm what, and so it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I, I've talked to so many people over the years and, and done this play hundreds, thousands of times. And, um, people, you know, come up to me and tell me their personal stories. So it opens the doors on, on, on stories of, of how we come to our identity. Yeah. And in that moment, um, what goes through your mind, through your heart, what happens in your body yeah well i think um 
for me, I had always had a sense that there was there was something else about me. I never I never fit in or felt as if I fit in with my family. I had I grew I, I don't I don't know if this is if you see this picture <laughs> in the video. I grew up with this huge afro, this huge head of hair that I couldn't get a comb through, that I couldn't get a brush through, and I didn't look really anything like anybody else in my family uh, but there wasn't anything to suggest that I was anything but what my family was and 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 what mm. they were was uh, I had a mother of Armenian descent and a stepfather who was of Swedish descent and I had a uh, I guess I would call them a half brother and sister who are much younger than me who grew up with straight you know like brunette hair um, but I had this wild thick, crazy hair that I couldn't comb that was in a, you know, Afro version. And, um, and, and, and lots of people during my, my, my early years came up to me and would sort of tease me about, oh, you must be black or you have some black blood in you. And, and I never really, (laughs) I never really, I mean, I guess that what I'm getting at to your question is there was something deep inside me that had always felt, that had always known that there was something different, but I couldn't get to it. And this was the confirmation of that. And so when my father says, I'm African-American, thus understanding now that I am that as well, it was as if it was like a Oh, a breath, a sigh of relief oh, for I'm, coming I'm, into oh, my own. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This unknowing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh. And and how did how how long after did you do the Hoffman process? Well, let's see. It was uh 2002. I took this journey in uh was it 19 Okay. So I first discovered Roughly. I first discovered my father in 1993. And mm. so the, it was almost 10 years later. Okay. Um, but see, so I want to preface this because when I did the Hoffman, I had staged the play in some early productions here in Chicago. And I was getting ready to go and stage it at a very large regional theater. It was a really big deal. I mean, it was a, it was a, I don't know, seven or 800 seat house, the, the Missouri Repertory Theater, it's now Kansas City Repertory Theater. And it was a huge deal for me in my career and for me to expose myself in front of an audience that large. And I was doing the Hoffman right before that. Hmm. And, that and so what you wrote and obviously directed and then were the single soul person on the stage throughout this. Yes, yes. I did not direct it actually. I, I I got someone to direct it. I feel as an as an actor I've always felt it's important to have an outside eye. I see. Um, and so I did write it and I had, you know, a hand in all of the other elements of it, but um uh, I wrote and performed it. Yes. And and you were at the time doing diversity and inclusivity work. No, no, no. Okay, I <laughs> no, see. I, I was see. a I was a freelance 
actor, writer, director, uh, teacher, okay. uh, a, a, a teaching artist. I was in Chicago <laughs> struggling, as I had done years before in Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles for, I don't know, 12 years or so, struggling trying to be an actor in Hollywood. I moved back. I had this, this, this situation took place in, while I was living in Los Angeles in a little tiny um, rent-controlled apartment in Santa Monica. And then... Um, mm. I wound up going back to Chicago because I want to get back to my roots in acting, acting for the stage. And I was struggling to make a living, you know, trying to put together, you know, a voiceover for this or a stage play for that. Yeah, like a lot of actors. Exactly, exactly. And And so you, 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 you decide to create this one man play. And then what's the impetus to do the process prior to, yeah. opening night well i don't know <laughs> i don't know about the timing <laughs> i was i was not in a good place in in terms emotionally and um here i was here i had gone on this journey and discovered my father my no pun intended my roots um uh my family and yet there was every other aspect of my life um, was just sort of a shambles. I wasn't, I wasn't putting together myself, my life and my career. I I hesitate to use the word career because it means so many different things uh, has different implications, but what my why i was here on the planet let's put it like that i see it's better for me um i was struggling putting all those elements together and it was really coming to a head uh during leading up to that summer and i had been exposed to the hoffman by some dear friends who had actually experienced the hoffman prior and they reached out and said hey you might be interested in this. And I was, again, as I said, in such a throes of, I couldn't figure out why. Look, I'd just gone on this amazing journey. And I thought, wow, my life should be firing on all cylinders right now. Something's not working <laughs> Something's here. Something's not working why? here. Right, yeah. right. And so what did, what what was that like for you to to do the process in that, time of discovery and all of it what what happened for you what looking back i guess even with the yes perspective well looking back it now is clear to me that the process helped me understand why i'm here what 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 my purpose is oh beautiful yeah yeah, and my purpose has been since that time to help people have more meaningful and authentic conversations around I, I, issues of race and identity, and to be able to mm-hmm. offer people tools to do so. And and I imagine that you can do that with a level of courage to step into the incredibly uncomfortable topic of race in this country because of your disclosure about your own personal journey. That's correct. It's, um, 
it's what I discovered over the years. I didn't know this when I started, but it's, it's what's referred to in academic circles as intergroup contact theory, which is the mm-hmm. proven theory that by sharing our personal stories across, across majority and minority populations, we can break down the prejudices that exist between us because we discover that we have a lot more in common than we don't. Wow. Just want to kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, something yeah. is making me take a deep breath after you say that we yeah have a lot more in common than we don't it's a fact it's a fact that we do uh, we allow our differences whatever they might be skin color religious political um, ideology whatever it might be we allow the different accent different countries we come from we allow those things to get in the way of seeing the fact that we have more in common than we don't we have a universal human experience and yet we're not tapping into what that universality is it's almost like we're we're not only just allowing it but we're using it that conflict that difference to almost define us um it's like a cheap definition well i don't know who i am but i know i'm not that person right right and we've used it as a cudgel to um to beat people down to keep people in their place to keep people from uh, attaining their whole selves and greatness um it, it's just so many different ways in which we do it and yet again i can't emphasize this enough that, that it is a fact we have more in common and yet we're not mm. bothering to spend the time finding out what those commonalities are and by me telling my story in the way that I've been doing so, which is in the, you know a, a one-man show over the course of an hour in which I portray over a dozen different characters, it allows people to open up and share their stories. It's not, it's not like they've had the same story that I've had or the same experience that I've had, but we're all trying to figure out who we are and how we fit in. That's a, that's a, uh, li- that's a lifelong journey. And it's universal. It's universal. Who are we and how do we... What's our place in this larger world? But how how do you know that you've done that work in the process? How do you know that it lives inside you as you step into the world doing this work? I have um, <laughs> I I have been blessed in so many ways. I can't even. I mean. I can't even begin to describe it's I get people coming up to me after I've done presentations um, who cannot speak they're they are holding back unbelievable amounts of pain and sorrow but they have just seen themselves in my play and again they they haven't had the same journey but they've seen themselves in my show in What's my that- story what is a, an what are some examples? I know it probably is all across the board, but sure, sure. Um, I can tell you one of the first first times that well, it's not the first time, but the really powerful time um, was right after. Well, <laughs> I will tell you. Okay, I was tell, I was talking to Julie about this the other day. Um, and, Julie and, is our producer and um, at at the institute and also someone who you took the process with. That's correct. We were in the same class together. That's right. Mm. 
Um, so I, I do the process. I journey back to Chicago, my head and heart full of all kinds of new things. I, I think it was two weeks later or a week later, I go off to Kansas City to um, do the show for three weeks. And I had been in touch with my process um, teacher, Mary. And um, she reached out to me. She was so moved by the work that we did together and by my story and by the fact that I was using um, my story in a theatrical way. And she asked if she could come to the production in Kansas City and mm. said, come and see it. And I was like, sure okay you want to fly all the way from san francisco to kansas City? sure great that'd be great and she did and she happened to come um to the opening i, I got her a ticket for opening night she came to the opening night it was you know incredible standing ovation you know like i like a lot of things that happen in the theater it's you know overly dramatic <laughs> and, and lots of um platitudes and praise and it's wonderful and um the next day um mary and i decided to meet we we're going to go for lunch we went and had this wonderful lunch in this lovely area of kansas city and we were walking along the street after lunch and she was asking me questions about you know how how did you make sense of this a question that you asked me how did you make sense of this when you suddenly discovered that you were half black and you had been raised thinking you were white and wasn't there something there or what 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 happened and how did you process this and exactly exactly and <laughs> at the time she's asking me this question and we're walking down the street i'm noticing out of the corner of my eyes there are two brothers, two black men standing on the street talking to one another. And the one brother looks over at me and he's like, yo, yo, brother, yo, yo, hey, yo, brother, I'm talking to you. And I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of this conversation with Mary, right? She's asking me these questions. And this guy is trying to grab my attention. And I turned to him and I said, yeah, what's up? And he says, yo, brother. I likes the way you look, the way you carry yourself. It, you carry yourself with some style and with, with some pizzazz, brother. You got some soul, brother. And I swear, I'm like, I, he's saying this. The, the two guys are talking. He's giving me the, the, the brotherly handshake. Mary's jaw is on the ground while we're walking. It's like, here's an example of of a connection that I can't explain. Like this is this goes on constantly. Like people would ask me, like, like don't people do people know? And oftentimes, um, when I finish a presentation, there'll be lots of members of the audience, people of color, who will raise their hands. Yeah, we knew, we saw, we we could tell you were part black or whatever. And here it was an example right as Mary was asking me this question, and. And it's like this kind of thing. And that's nothing, you know, people come up to me and I had a, I had a young man come up to me uh, during that same run in Kansas City, his wife and, uh, and he came up to me after the show, they requested um, to come into the green room. The green room is the area backstage where the, <laughs> the actors, only in this case, the actor <laughs> hangs out before and after the show. 
and the stage manager comes in and says, I got a couple who want to see you. And I said, I don't know anybody here in Kansas City. Anyway, let them in. So they came in and the wife comes up to me and says, I need to tell you, my husband was so deeply impacted by your play and he wanted to come back and meet you. And I turned to him and his eyes are filled with tears and he can't say anything. He is choking. And I'm waiting, and there's sort of this awkward moment, and his wife is sort of waiting, like, come on, honey, tell him what you told me kind of thing. And she's, yeah, you can do this. And she says, he, he really was so, so moved by what you, what, you, what you told your story. And I look at him, and I can see that he is me. He is a biracial individual. And I just told his story, and he was beside himself. And he choked out, thank you so much for your story. And I just grabbed him in a hug and I hugged him and I said, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing has happened to me repeatedly over and over, whether it's and, a biological bi- or other. Was the process, like, did it give you the self compassion like specifically relating to the work in the process, did it give you the self-compassion to own all of all of the conflicting parts of you and the confusion and the did you make peace with your childhood? I mean, yes. Like, yes, 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 yes. All of those things made peace with my childhood, made peace with my parents, made peace with my my history. It helped me have a deeper, um, a deeper acceptance in my heart it helped me understand how powerful my stories are but my story Mm -hmm. in particular and and you know prior to this i had done a couple of runs of the show and and i just had this idea of well it's a really fascinating story and it's a it's a really um uplifting theatrical experience but going through the process helped me understand that it was much, much more, more than that, that it resonated with people on this deep psychic soulful level. And, and that's what I brought into, um, and, and was shown, um, at the Missouri run right after the process. I, I, I see that. So yeah, getting a sense of your depth and that, it, it it can be a deep soulful connection with other people. It's not just about race. It's almost about what it means to be human. Absolutely. I, like I said earlier, it's it, we all go on this journey, whether we're a, a conscious of it or not. There are, I don't know if you uh, have read the... Uh, um, oh my gosh, now I just had a, like a, a senior moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the Power of Myth by... Um, Oh, who's the author? Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell talks about these stories as being mythic, that our Mm -hmm. stories are mythic and that we all share this universal human experience. And it helped me really see clearly how deeply connected we are and, 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 and to be able to, um, not just share my story, but then to find those connections with people that it that again it, it, it like you said it's not just about race it's about this this human experience about this experience of us all going on a journey trying to figure out who we are and where we fit in michael how are you um i i love the like that is so epic in the scale of its 
endeavor. And you have these uh, beautiful examples. And, and in this moment, like, how are you navigating shelter in place? And, <laughs> and, and as your play and your work been put on hold and what's it like for you? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, I guess like everyone, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but I guess I would say from those friends that I've spoken with, my wife, who I share a home with, we gravitate from having good days and bad days. Fortunately, you know, when I'm having a bad day, my wife is having a good day and vice versa. <laughs> so we're able to keep one another, uh, uh, help one another, lift one another. Um, my work has been postponed. I had quite a few um, bookings on the calendar for uh, the month of April and May. Um, I do a lot of work with corporations and government agencies. Um, I do actually still have a booking. <laughs> this is a little strange. Um, I still have a booking on the calendar for the end of July. I'm not sure if it will happen, but it's with the Department of Homeland Security in Washington, uh. D.C., whom I have done other work for in the past. I've done the show and, and uh, sessions, diversity inclusion sessions. Um, what I'm, I've been working on trying um, to create a virtual space for this work. To move it online. Yes, it's difficult because obviously there's this aspect of, well, it's a play and it's done live. And so how do you do the play in the context of a zoom screen and the answer is you don't um but the thing that i've come up with and that i'm in the midst of and i'm very excited about is i have been working on trying to turn this into an e-learning platform for quite some time i've had several clients who over the years have asked me you know we'd like to make this available to all of our employees um, usually i go to a visit a company and you know, I see a couple hundred mid-management people and they all love it and they talk about it. But the people that are in a lower level, line level people don't get to see it because they're manning their positions, their stations, whatever. But they all have to do some kind of diversity and inclusion training. And so I'm working on creating an e-learning platform, which includes a recording of the play, which mm -hmm. was filmed um, a number of years ago in front of a live audience and including that with um, some additional, um, I guess, learnings, which are generally kind of the things I talk about um, during talkbacks with audiences after the play. And so I've been working on that. I just, right before we went into lockdown, I finished writing my second book, which is about my travels around the country over the past 15 years trying to get people to talk about race and all of the crazy things that I've experienced and all the lessons that I've learned that I can share with people. And, and I sort of put that on hold for the moment. I, I can imagine, you know, race is such a, uh, I, uh, you know, this more than anybody. It's so intimately, it's so complicated. Yes. And, and, um, it, what is the dilemma? What's the problem that people are inviting you in to address? What What do you notice that the cost is showing as you show up to these uh, gatherings, these things that you produce? 
Yeah, well, so I'm in this field, as we mentioned earlier, that's called the diversity and inclusion space. Some people refer to it as DEI, diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but it's all kind of the same. It's for a lot of companies, it's run out of their HR offices. Educational institutions also do diversity and inclusion work, um, both high schools and colleges. And I work with all of those. Um, I don't specifically work on the diversity aspect, which is the aspect of creating a more diverse um, play, a field so that we bring in um, a wider variety of employee or a wider variety of student in, onto our campus. Um, I concentrate more on the inclusive side. How do we create a more inclusive environment? And what I think many of these companies are discovering as they become, companies and schools are discovering as they become more diverse, is how do we speak to one another when we come from all of these different um, cultures and places and with different ideas and different accents? And I see. Um, so we've, we've increased our diversity. Now we have a greater variety of people. Now what? How do we exactly. figure out how to connect with one another exactly what if what if we we speak different languages what if we you know maybe it's not actually a language but we speak different things culturally how do we mesh with one another and again my primary um, idea is this intergroup contact theory um, I don't obviously lay claim for it. It was uh, put together in the uh, early 50s by a Harvard uh, sociologist, um, but it works and it's proven to work. And so that is my that is why I believe most of the places that I um, visit are bringing me in to try to help them understand how they can be more inclusive, what kind of tools they can use to create a more inclusive environment. And and what's the What's the cost of not being inclusive? I mean, people might say, okay, so, you know, do we have to all get along perfectly? We're here to create a product <laughs> or build a business. Right. What is, as you're understanding, what's the cost of these companies not being able to communicate with one another on an employee level and a, well, a CEO level? Um, I don't, I don't want to um it, because the work that i do is not political in nature and i don't want to sound like i'm spouting some sort of political ideology but we're seeing the cost right now yeah the response is um all over the map and i'm not saying one way is right and one way is wrong what i'm saying is is that we're not all on the same page it's pretty obvious we're not all on the same page. And this is the cost. The cost is we have people who are storming state capitals. We have people who are sheltered down and can't leave the house. We have thousands and thousands of people dying. We have misinformation flying all over the place. That's the cost. Mm. So yeah. that cost exists whether you're talking about a pandemic or you're talking about a company or you're talking about an educational institution. If you can't mm -hmm. all figure out a way to work together, and one of the tools I will mention um, that's so, so yeah. important is we can disagree so long as we're not disagreeable. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. When so. you think about your process, is there a moment in time that, you know, it's having now it's almost uh, coming on 20 years yeah. in a few years, but yeah. does it, does it, do the memories still stick out for you and anything in particular? Well, I would, again, I, I would say I really found my purpose there and it obviously, um, well, maybe not obvious, but it, 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 it grew more and more um, enlarged for me as I um, stepped further and further away, but it never, I never did not know or did not recognize how that um, spark was initiated in me through my process. Um, I still keep in touch with a few people from my process. Obviously, Julie, I keep in touch mm -hmm. with and a, f a couple of other people. Um, and I find that, again, it was um, thinking back on it, there was, I think there was a moment when I was sitting in a, uh, if it's, I, I don't know, I have this, this image, it's, I suppose it's sort of idyllic, um, these large redwood trees. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was sort of this lawn area and the, and I was, the, the visual was just so serene. And I was doing one of the writing um, exercises um, that we had been doing that, that week. And I, I just, I had this moment where it just felt like everything was sort of coming into place and it was all like going through me onto the page, like as if wow. it was being, I was being directed in a way that this, this flow. Yeah. A flow. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Do, do you, do you like writing? I do. I, I wrote a book uh, that was published in 2011, which was my memoir um, called Incognito, an American Odyssey of Race and Self-Discovery. And I just finished um, my second book, which is called Nobody Wants to Talk About It, Race, Identity, and the Difficulties in Forging Meaningful Conversations. Let, let me ask you a question. If, if, if people did, if more people did take the process, Mm -hmm. How, how, what would they learn about, um, how they would be able to talk about it? I'm, I'm imagining the title implies that in fact, no one does want to talk about it. If, if we could wave a magic wand and have everybody yeah. take the process, what would that give them to be able to navigate conversations around race? I really believe that gives people a deeper understanding that there, there are a lot of things out there that we do and don't understand and that we're open to hearing both. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, I came to this over, over time, but I believe the seed was planted back in the process is that there isn't any one way to go about having a conversation about race and identity. 
If there was one, if there was one way to do it, we, we'd all be doing it. It would make it a lot easier. You know? uh, but there right. isn't one way, and I think for me, the the process helped me understand the principles of that. And as I ventured into this, doing this, and it started to become like, um. Like people would look at me or come to me, approach me as if I was like a therapist or something. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I am not, I'm not trained therapist. I am just a guy with a story. But I realized that we all have a story and we all have a, a different experience. And it's all of those different experiences that we bring to the table when we try to have this conversation. And yet, we don't always accept someone else's experience or story. And the Hoffman, I think, helped me understand um, a greater acceptance of, of this wide variety of, 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 of experiences. And again, the commonalities that we share in that. Gosh, I, I can't help but part of what I hear in that is, you know, in this pandemic, there is so much unknown. And whenever I'm on a call or social distancing with the neighbors um, uh, from across the street, it's always around, do you know what I heard? (laughs) Is this true? When is it going to happen? And there's so much unknown. And part of what I hear you saying is a similar kind of thing of, gosh, race is confusing. There's so much unknown. This is uncomfortable. Another tool, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. Um, that's, it's actually an adage from, um, from improvisation circles. So one of the first rules is um well one of the first rules in in learning improv is say yes to everything but um getting comfortable being uncomfortable in an improv is exactly where you want to be Hmm. then you know you're doing it right that's correct Uh it's it's almost like it's an i it's an idea it's a concept for the intellect but part of what improv does is say now now put it into practice use your body and your voice that's right. I, it's, I used to uh, teach uh, in a summer program at uh, Northwestern University for, I don't know, it was 15 summers. Um, right, And it started right after I did the process, actually. It's called the National High School Institute. And it was uh, a program that brought in um, young uh, high school uh, students between their junior and senior years in high school. And they came on campus and had this intensive theater training program for five weeks. And I would... Uh, do some improv and teach some improv to some students. And one of the things, many young people are just like, it's just so frightening improv. You know, they, they could get a script and, oh, I can learn my lines and do that. But doing improv is, is it's scary. It's frightening because you don't know what's going to happen. But you know what? We're having an improvisation right now, you and I. Drew. That's what this is. That's what oh, this in is. this conversation. Exactly. You don't know what I'm going to say and I don't know no. what you're going to say. This That's is an improvisation. Right. Yeah. How are we doing? <laughs> I'd say it's pretty successful. I don't know. I mean, you know, if you're looking for jokes and whatnot, I don't know about that. But <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say this pandemic is an improv. Well, that is true too, isn't it? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen next, and and in many ways, 
it does feel like we're improvising. Which is incredibly uncomfortable. That's right. And so we need to get comfortable with that. Yeah. I know uh, my wife and I keep trying to think about plans and what will we do? And then they go nowhere because we don't know anything yet to make a plan around. That's right. What what a place to keep coming back to. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael, what's it like to, I imagine you, much of what you've said here is what you say a lot Mm -hmm. and You've also connected it to that deep work you did during the process. What's it like to to share about this, to talk about this? <laughs> well, I, uh, you, I, <laughs> I am so deeply, deeply grateful um, and honored to be in the position that I am today. I mean, I can't. I, the, I have to pinch myself that, that, that I get to do what I get to do. You know, it's as a biracial individual, I'm in a position to be a bridge. And um, I don't know that I really understood that. I, I think the beginnings of that for me, the, the first step on the, that bridge was, was, was the process for me. And, and then going through that, um, I just, I, I, I'm, 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 if you could see me, I'm shaking my head. I cannot even express the gratitude that I have for the place that I'm in. It is, you know, I get to go around the country and tell my life story and to really, I, you know, this is not a hyperbole. I get to change people's lives. I get to use mm-hmm. art as a means for social change. Wow, that's that's an amazing position to be in. Yeah, and and um, boy, that's a beautiful. I I can almost uh, we haven't met, but I feel in in your voice the importance of this journey for you. And it's almost like you took that bridge of healing with the Hoffman process with your own story. And now you get to lead others and in a way this nation onto yeah. the bridge to the process of healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a, uh, do you, uh, do you call it instructors, a teacher, a Hoffman teacher? I don't know what, what are the teachers? The, yeah. The teachers. Because in so many ways you, and I'm, and I'm assuming you are one, yes? Yes, I am, yes. Yes, in, in so many ways you are offering people tools um, on their journey to um, become fuller selves within their hearts and their souls. And so in many ways you are on this same journey. Yeah, it's a... Um... It's a special uh, place to be, to be a witness to people's transformation on a, uh, transformation has such a, you know, it can mean a lot of different things, but the transformation that is so deep and soulful in the process, you're right. You're right, Michael. It is, uh, 
it's an honor, right? Is that yeah. how you hold it? Yeah, absolutely. It is. I, I, I walk out of rooms sometimes and I mean, I, I'm crying right now. I, 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 it, it brings tears to me. I, 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 I walk out so moved by what's happened and it was me who shared the story. It wasn't, (laughs) you know, but I see such a, as you, I think the word you use transformation, I see such a transformation in people and it's, it's, you know, head exploding. It's mind exploding for me. It is. Do you do follow up work to see the, and, and um, experience it? As it starts to integrate into companies, do you get a chance to go back and support? Uh, sometimes I do, not very often. I wish it would happen more. Occasionally, I'll have a company who will ask me to come back in and do um, some follow-up workshops, um, which you know are not necessarily my they, well, they aren't my play, but they are sort of uh, precipitated by the play so that helps um and and i do keep in touch with a, a number of clients i have over the years and um i i continually get emails um from people i i, I just got an email two weeks ago from um a gentleman i did a, a work for a very large law firm um in october november december i traveled to seven of their offices uh, over the Western United States and did, I don't know, 17, 18 presentations. And one of the agreements we had was to record a few and leave them on their intranet so that people who couldn't be in the live session could be have access to it. And I got an email two weeks ago from a, an attorney who said, I locked down in quarantine and I finally got an opportunity to watch your piece. Uh... And I was blown away. It is so meaningful to me. Thank you so much for the courage that you have in doing this. And I would, you know, that happens constantly. And it just, I, I it, it's, it's, it deeply moves me. Well, Michael, I uh, am grateful uh, for this conversation and grateful for you sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you, Drew. It's, it was an absolute pleasure. I, um, I was so thrilled to, to be asked. listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.